0: Well, good morning again. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4. And we're going to go ahead and pick up where uh, Luke left off two weeks ago. And uh, where he was talking about the Gospel. This week we get to talk about uh, a life lived out for Christ in the Gospel. So if I if I had a title for this week, it would be something like, The sacrifice of Paul's life, or Paul's great example to Timothy, or something like that. That would probably be my title today because I think perhaps these verses that we're going to cover in chapter four give us the deepest look into Paul's heart as a minister and as a man of God. And when I was reading these couple of verses, I was just blown away over and over and over again looking into the heart of Paul and how much he cares um, about the ministry that he's been giving and about the Lord himself. Um, and it's, it's quite humbling uh, to be here in the, the, behind the pulpit this morning talking about Paul uh, and seeing his heart and thinking, wow. I wish I had half the the heart Paul has. So uh, let's go ahead and look at these verses. We've just got a couple verses, uh, verses 6 through 8 of 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul writes to Timothy, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Uh, That's a whole jam-packed segment of the heart of Paul and his hope and his dedication to the gospel, and it's my privilege this morning to get to unpack this a bit. And, um, But I don't want to unpack this out of context. So I'm going to just take a few minutes and explain um, how I see how the context fits into this, um, this passage. And if you even go back and look in chapter 3, right? he's talking about, uh, at the end of chapter 3, um, the scripture that's given by inspiration of God. And why is it given? It's so that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so we see that the Word of God uh, uh, equips the man of God to, sh- to share it, to share the gospel, and that his life may be lived out full of good works, because that's what God intended for us beforehand, as uh, we see in Ephesians. And then he continues in to the beginning of chapter 4, um, he gives them, he gives Timothy, a very solemn charge, and that's what Luke talked about a couple weeks ago, that solemn charge. uh, It says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Uh, He's saying, Timothy, I'm giving you a command to do something. And as a witness to this command, I'm reminding you that God is witness who judges the living and the dead. That's a pretty solemn command. And then he says, and, and what is the command to do? Preach the word. And that's where uh, Luke camped out a, c- uh, a couple weeks ago. The, um, the seriousness of that call and how seriously we all ought to take it. And I'm sure that Timothy took it seriously. And so Paul goes to all this trouble to command Timothy, preach the gospel. That's what's important. And then he flips over into talking about himself as an offering. And those two ideas are very closely tied together because that's what Paul lived his life in dedication to, is spreading the gospel, right? He was called to be a minister of Christ, right? And that's usually how he introduces himself at the beginning of his uh, uh, epistles. He'll say, Paul, a servant or a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, Right. That's how he introduces himself. That's his very identity that he's formed or that God has given him. Rather, his very identity is he's an apostle, some a servant of Christ, someone who's been called into the ministry. That's it. You want to sum up Paul in one sentence. That's him. He's a called minister. And I think uh, if I was to go around the room and say, you know, sum up your identity in a sentence. Who are you? You know? Oh, you know, I'm, I'm an engineer, right? Or uh, uh, maybe for the ladies, oh, I'm, uh, I'm so-and-so's wife or, uh, you know, so on or so forth. Or I'm so-and-so's mom or I'm uh, so-and-so's dad, right? There's all sorts of different things that we can tie our identity to. But Paul says, my identity is a servant called to be an apostle. That's my identity, and he's saying now to Timothy at the end of his life that he's being poured out as a drink offering. It's the completion of his sacrifice for the gospel. Um, I, I love the fact that Paul uses this imagery of a drink offering, and I'm going to explore that just a little bit. I'm not going to go back through and, and go through a whole bunch of Old Testament scripture. Um, but... It's, it's a picture that we're not too typically familiar with because it's not a huge uh, point of the Old Testament. You know, oftentimes in the, the offerings in the Old Testament, we talk about the, the lamb that was slain, right, as being a picture of Christ. And we see that over and over again. That's a, um, repeatedly, uh, a repeated point throughout the Old Testament, the sacrifice of a lamb or of a bull, or if you're a poor person, you know, of some doves or something like that, right? We see over and over the sacrifice and the blood and, and that imagery being repeated over and over. But the drink offering doesn't get a whole lot of emphasis. It's mentioned a whole bunch of times. If, um, I did a Bible search. I just typed in drink offering um, into the Bible search program, and there was all these hits on it. But I noticed something very interesting about a drink offering. Typically... The drink offering would be of wine or something, and it's just it's poured out on the ground, but it's not the main event. Typically, a drink offering is offered after a lamb or a bull or some other sacrifice is offered. The drink offering is sort of the final conclusion that a measure of wine would be poured out on the ground before the Lord. It's the final act, and I think that's the imagery that. Um, Paul is giving here is he's saying what's going on in my life right now that's the drink offering it's the last it's the last of me right and uh, wine or or the the wine drink offering that was poured out unlike the lamb which oftentimes parts of it were offered and then another part of it was um, like the, the entrails of the lamb would be taken away and buried somewhere um the drink offering was never separated. It, it, it never was, you know, partly poured out and then, the drink, and then the priest drank some or something like that. A drink offering was always poured out in its entirety. Every last drop. And so, that's the beautiful imagery that Paul is bringing in here when he says, and I am being poured out as a drink offering. He's saying, look, this is the last act. It's the conclusion of of my lifetime of sacrifice, this last little bit that I'm giving now is being poured out in its entirety. And it's beautiful that Paul would describe his last days in prison before his death um, where he's writing this letter. He describes that as the drink offering. This This isn't even the noteworthy part. This is just the last final conclusion of it. And I think um, it's laying more emphasis to what came before. He's saying all my life time that I spent preaching the gospel and traveling about to the different churches, I think Paul views that as the, the main sacrifice, the main event, right? That that bull or that ram or that lamb that would be sacrificed before the drink offering. I think that was kind of in Paul's mind as he's saying, look, I've already made the big sacrifice of my whole life. This last little bit here, this, this is just the drink offering. It's the, it's the best, it's the sweetest. It's totally consumed before the Lord. But it's just the last bit. It's not the main event. No one came here just to do the drink offering. And I think it's a challenge as well because I don't want to just get to the, to the end of my life and have not made the sacrifice beforehand. And all I've got left is the last drops of the drink offering. And that's all I've got left is my sacrifice. No, no. Paul's already made his contribution throughout his life. But this, this last moment is particularly tender and touching. And he's saying what came before was more valuable. This is just the last Last bit of me, I'm being poured out in my entirety. I'm holding nothing back. All of me is being poured out here, and that really gives us a, a deep insight into Paul. He's not saying, "You know what? I've spent many years traveling and hardships, and sickness, and hunger, and perils of robbers, and beatings from the uh, and canings, and whippings, and stonings at the hands of." Uh, other fanatics. He's not saying I've you know I've done all of that. I've been through the shipwrecks and all of that stuff, and now I'm finally able to take it easy. I'm in the you know the nice comfortable Christian retirement home. <laughs> That's not where Paul's at. He's saying where I'm at right now, every last drop of me is being poured out. Yeah, sure I went through all that hardship. But I'm not going to stop. I'm giving everything to God. All of it. Even to that last drop of the drink offering. It's beautiful. And I think it's amazing how humble Paul is in not saying, you know, I'm in worse danger now than I've ever been. Uh, Do something for me, you know. He, he He doesn't say that. He says, this is my last sacrifice. This is what I've got left. Let me make it to the Lord. His humility and his dedication to the gospel and to his master. It's fantastic. And it also says, uh, that's just the first half of verse 6. The second half of the verse, he says, the time of my departure is at hand. And uh, I looked up the, the word for departure and the imagery uh, there uh, it can mean two things, both of which uh, apply to Paul. The first is um, the, the departure, um, has, the word that's used has the imagery of casting off, like a, a ship throwing the, the lines that tie it to the dock back to shore. It's cast off, it's moving on, it's out to sea. And I think Paul uh, knows that he's sailing off into the sunset, as it were. There's a, he's not coming back. His, his ship is sailing. We use that expression in the, in the English language, don't we? His, his ship is sailed. Well, Paul knows that's where he's at. He says, my, my ship is sailing right now. I'm at the end. But it, um, there's another uh, connotation of the word that's used, and it means um, an unyoking, a taking off of a burden. And uh, I think that also fits Paul very well. Also, is because he's got Timothy to to carry on the call of the gospel after him. He's he's pulled the plow as far as he's gonna pull it. You know, he's bear, he's borne the burden as far as he he can go, and now he's taking that load off. He's stepping out of the yoke. And his time is at an end, and I think that also uh, is a very good picture of where Paul understands him to be. And the the amazing thing is, is that he's not saying, you know, I'm, I'm, my ship is sailing now, but there, you know, there's more stuff I wish I could have done. He's not saying, you know, I have all these regrets. In my lifetime, I wish I could go back and do things over. No, look at what he says in verse 7. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. If any man could look back at his lifetime and be completely satisfied with his life's work, it's Paul. He had labored for who knows how many years planting churches, and preaching the gospel in town after town, and village after village, and city after city, and synagogue after synagogue, and home after home, working for the gospel. And he says, you know what? I look back now. I fought that fight with everything I had. I ran that race to the last ounce of my strength. And I have kept the faith. He's not wavered. And who knows how many men Paul had seen quit beside him? Um, I mean, there's a fair number of folks uh, of men that were with Paul being recorded as quitters, even in this book of Second Timothy. And I think that's a very direct challenge as well. You say, Timothy, after I'm gone, don't quit. Give yourself as that whole sacrifice. All the way to the last drop of the drink offering. Give yourself that way. Don't be a quitter. The gospel is worth it. And, you, and I think Timothy really understands that <laughs> Paul's crossing the finish line, but he's saying to the other brothers coming behind him, oh no, there's still prizes to be won. There, there's not just one prize for the first person to cross the finish line. had Paul saying, I've, I've finished the race. My prize is right here at hand. I've almost got it in my hand. And that's the imagery, of course, in, in verse 8, where he says, Finally there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. It's an awesome thing for him to be able to say, I'm getting a crown of righteousness from the righteous judge. In other words, he's saying, I'm not afraid to be standing before the judge of all righteousness. And if you think about it, that ought to be a very scary concept. Standing in the presence of God who is perfect and Him looking into the depths of your heart and soul and handing you a crown. That's awesome. But I think there's a lot... I know that there's a lot of folks that are going to stand before the judge of all righteousness at that great white throne. He's not going to hand them a crown. He's going to say, depart depart from me, (laughs) all you who practice lawlessness. There's a whole lot of folks that are going to stand before that judge and get as their reward eternal punishment. And even at the... uh, The judgment seat of Christ. There's going to be a whole lot of believers, I think, that stand before the Lord and see a lot of their lifetime go up in smoke. Paul says, I'm not worried about that. He says, when I stand before that righteous judge, I know he's got a crown for me. (laughs) That's confidence. That's, That's knowing that you've been doing the right thing your whole life. And I find that extremely remarkable about Paul. That he can say, I know what reward is waiting for me. But I want to take a, uh, a step back here for just a moment. And talk about that uh, in verse 7. He says, I fought the good fight and I have finished the race. And it, uh, when I was reading that verse, I was like, you know what? I think I've heard something similar to this before. I was like, oh yeah. Didn't we just go through all those uh, pictures in chapter 2 that that Paul was saying of a laborer of Christ? You remember the the, um, example of the son and of the soldier and of the athlete and of the farmer? Is this stuff coming back to you guys? I'm seeing some heads nodding. Yeah. Remember all those... uh, stuff that we we preached upon weeks ago, Paul's referencing that stuff all over again. Um, And there's actually quite a few parallels um, between chapter 2 and chapter 4. And I'm just going to point out a couple of them uh, in addition to my my main point of the the soldier and the athlete. but if you look at chapter two, it really breaks down similarly. to Chapter four and the first the first two verses. Um, well, let me just read chapter, uh, verse two of chapter two, and then I'll read verse two of chapter four, and uh, you see you'll see the parallels yourself. Um, Paul says in chapter two, he says, "And the things that I have heard, and the things that you have heard from me, among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also." Forward two chapters. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort, with all long suffering and teaching. Huh? That's pretty parallel, isn't it? And then he goes uh, into the soldier and the athlete and the the farmer, and uh, even um, I'm just going to quickly sum this up. Even towards the end of the chapter, he talks about um, being faithful to the Lord even when when others falter. And then later in chapter 4, we're going to see, if you look at verse 10, for example, you'll see Demas has forsaken Paul, and so on and so forth. So there's a lot of parallels um, between the two chapters, uh, more than ten of them, in fact. Um, That's really remarkable how Paul has come back around, as it were, to the place he was before Uh, In his message. But I find it so interesting that in chapter 2, he encourages uh, Timothy to be a good warrior. In verses 3 and 4, he says in in chapter 2, You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted as a soldier. And uh, I believe Jake had that uh, message and he talked about the qualities that make a good soldier. Um, and then Paul says simply in chapter 4, he says, I have fought the good fight. Saying all those things that were required of a soldier that I encourage you to do, that's what I've done. And I can lay down my sword and shield now knowing that I've fought the fight. I've lived the lifetime of a warrior and my my striving is over and I've pleased him who enlisted me as a soldier everything that I've done has been to please him and then the next uh, phrase uh, in chapter 2 it says "If any, and also if anyone who competes in athletics is uh, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And Paul simply says in chapter 4, he says, I've finished the race. I've followed everything that was required of me so that I might not be disqualified. And I've broken the tape on that finish line knowing that I've done everything that the Lord required of me in the way that He wanted me to do it. And... Uh, It's amazing that Paul can be here at the end of his life cuz I was I was sitting, I was thinking about this. I've been thinking about this all week, but I was I was thinking, you know, if I take honest stock of my life right now, can I say that every moment that I've lived for the Lord so far, I've been fighting that good fight and I've been running that race hard and competing according to the rules? And that's a challenge. If I'm going to be honest with myself, I can say, no, every minute has not been as faithful as Paul. And so as I read this, I'm challenged. And that's my challenge to everyone here as well. Don't don't let me be the only person that reads this and, and is challenged. When you get to the end of your life, when you when you get to the end of next week, when we're back here next Sunday, can you say that you've fought for the Lord all week, ran the race with diligence, sought the prize, laid aside the things which ensnare us? I'd like to be able to see that say that next Sunday, you know what, folks, forget what came before at least this last week I've done a good job that would be. I'd be very happy to say that next week. But Paul says that about his life. He says, I've, I've run that race, I've fought that fight. And the Lord has a crown for me. And I, I thought while I was reading this, I'm like, hey, Paul, you forgot the farmer. You know, you're doing such a great job of <laughs> quoting what you said earlier. You forgot the farmer. And then it dawned on me. No, he didn't. <laughs> uh, remember what Don kept saying? Uh, what was his phrase? I will enjoy my crops. Yes. I will enjoy the harvest of my crops. Paul says in verse 8, he says, Finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Oh, no, he didn't forget the farmer. The farmer is enjoying his crops. Paul is enjoying that crown. He knows he's got it. See that heart, that that farmer, as he plants and and tills the ground and pulls the weeds and waters some more, and pulls more weeds and waters some more and harvests at the end of it. He's all thinking about the enjoyment at the end, right? I will enjoy my crops. See, even harvesting is hard work, right? You don't, you don't get the bread right away. It's not like you just walk out in the, in the grain field and there's all these loaves of bread <laughs> sitting there just waiting for you to pick them up. Even the harvest is hard work. But once you've got it stored and processed, Paul, he's saying, I got a, I got a whole lot to enjoy now with all this hard work. And I think more than any Thanksgiving meal that's ever been enjoyed. Paul says, that crown, when the Lord hands me that crown, that's going to be reward enough for my whole lifetime. And so that's where we come to the second challenge of this message. Do you look forward to the rewards in the last day? Because it's very easy to forget that that's a reality. It's very easy to forget that we're going to stand before God face to face one day. And what He rewards us with is dependent upon how much we yield ourselves to Him today. It's easy to labor for money and possessions here and now because i can get paid and i can take that paycheck and 20 minutes later i can be hauling something out of target or walmart that i just bought and that gratification is instant right or i can go and sit down in a nice restaurant and enjoy all the food that i can possibly enjoy and that gratification is instant and it's very easy to get trapped into living for those things. Or even we might exercise a little more discipline and say, you know what, I'm saving up for that, that nice car or that nice house or whatever. And we're still looking towards gratification here. It may be a little bit more delayed, but we're still looking forward to something that makes us feel good. And Paul's saying, you know what's going to make me feel the best I've ever felt in my entire life? When God hands me that crown, and that's that's a challenge because it's really hard to, to trust God that He's got a reward for you that's more rewarding than anything He's got here, and than anything we can pile up for ourselves. And there's a lot, of, a lot, a lot of distractions here, and so my my challenge and my encouragement to you from Paul and from the Lord is look forward to those things which are to come more than you look forward to the things that are now. And that's that's a decision you got to make every day when you get up in the morning and you say, Lord, help me live this day so that I might be rewarded in that day, not that I might be rewarded at the end of today. <laughs> because... I know the, re- the rewarding feeling of a hard day's work when you get to the end of the day, you want nothing more than to sit down at the couch with a nice cold beverage next to you and flip on the TV and think about exactly nothing for the next two hours. And there's a certain sense where you feel like you've earned that. And I think Paul's saying, that's the way I look at my life, not the way that I look at it day by day. I look at my life saying I have worked hard my entire life as a preacher of the gospel and as a tent maker so that I wouldn't be dependent upon other people for any uh, earthly provisions. But what I've really been laboring for this whole time is for that crown. And my encouragement to you today is if you're not looking forward to that find some way Something that you're looking forward to about meeting the Lord Jesus. I know for me personally, there's a lot of different things that I look forward to um, about meeting Him. I look forward to seeing Him face to face and hearing Him speak my name. Because I'm sure when I hear His name, or sorry, when I hear my name come out of His mouth, it's going to sound a whole lot different to me than anyone who's ever said my name before. And I've heard my mother yell my name in anger, and that meant something to me. And I've heard my mom and my dad say my name in love, and that meant a whole lot to me as well. But when Jesus says my name, knowing that I was on his mind as he was up on the cross, no one has ever done anything for me like Jesus has. And that he would love me and speak my name one day? <laughs> I think the, the whole rest of eternity is just going to echo with that moment. There's a lot of things I look forward to as well. I look forward to Christ's eternal kingdom and His responsibilities that He's going to give me for all of eternity. You see, that picture that we have that's in cartoons of sitting in a white robe on a little feathery cloud strumming on a harp and singing to God is, <laughs> well, it's, it's just a fairy tale. Because Yes, we're going to praise God. And yes, we're going to honor Him. And yes, we're going to worship and enjoy Him forever. But I don't think it's going to be a whole lot of sitting around. The Lord calls the eternal state His kingdom, where He rules. Well, last time I checked, I haven't met a government yet that didn't have a whole lot of jobs and administrators and people doing stuff. Right? (laughs) And I'm not going to sit at a bureaucratic desk and file papers that no one else is going to read for the rest of eternity. I'm not saying I'm going to get stuck in a bureaucracy. What I'm saying is is that God has a purpose for me for all of eternity. He has something He's got planned for me to do. I don't know what it is. But there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth and a whole order that's all going to set up and worship Him. We even know that about the angels, don't we? The angels have different hierarchies and different jobs and there's cherubim and seraphim and uh, the, the, um, the, the different ranks, we don't know all what they do, but there's some sort of order and they do stuff. You know, they're not just sitting around all day. Um, right now, <laughs> they're, they're involved in the, in the battle just as much as we are, right? I don't know what the, what the whole spiritual reality of that is. I can't, I can't see it right now. I only know what little bit has been revealed in the Scripture. But I know that what, whatever God's got for me in eternity, it's going to be way better than any job here on earth. And, and it's going to be way more rewarding than whatever paycheck. I could make a million dollars a day here on earth. And it still wouldn't be nearly as rewarding as working for that master and saying, God, what I'm bringing to you at the end of every day is for your glory and your glory alone. But here's the beautiful thing, is that kingdom (laughs) is present in our hearts now. We're already part of that kingdom. It's not something future that we're looking towards and saying, you know what, someday I'm going to work for God. Someday I'm going to be His employee. Nah, we're we're already there. It just continues into the next life. And Paul's saying as as he fought as a warrior and as he competed as a diligent athlete, he's saying, that's already my mission that God has given me. We're just continuing it. He says, but I get a crown. And for the rest of my service to the Lord, I'm going to be wearing that crown of righteousness that He's given me. And so I want to be going about my duties, whatever they are in eternity, wearing a crown. Isn't that going to be awesome? I can say, God, all those things that I've done to you that earned me this crown, that's just the beginning. And I'm glad to have been a faithful servant of yours. And I look forward to being an eternal, eternally faithful servant. See, it's going to be a lot easier when we're part of that kingdom because we're not going to have all the sinful distractions that we've got nowadays. But we're still called to be faithful servants. And it's amazing that Paul is saying, Look, all the things I've done, <laughs> that's what I've been working towards. And so that's what he means at the end of verse 8. He says, That crown, it says, is not given to just me. Paul's not going to be the only recipient of the crown. And it says, but also to all who have loved his appearing. You see, there's a whole bunch of saints who are all looking forward to the Lord's appearing, to hearing that shout, that archangel's trumpet. (laughs) And uh, I remember listening to a sermon uh, by Rex Trogdon up at Yosemite. And he said, boy, he says, if it was a race to get up there, (laughs) he says, don't count me last. (laughs) He says, there's nothing going to be able to hold me down. And that sort of enthusiasm for looking for the Lord's return is infectious. Encourage one another. Say, brother or sister, are you looking forward to when the Lord's coming back? I know I am. But see, that's another one that's easy to forget. And as I'm sitting there at my job typing away at my computer or doing whatever you do at work, it's easy to forget that the next moment, that could have been the last keystroke you ever typed. (laughs) Are you waiting for the Lord's appearing? With every conversation do you have, you say, boy, if God came back in the middle of this conversation, that'd be, that'd be alright with me. Or is it angry and dissentious words? Or gossip? I'd I would hate for God to come back in the middle of a gossip session between me and another buddy of mine. And that would be awful. Oh, hi Lord. <laughs> Didn't see you standing there. That'd be awful. But I forget about that. Paul says that crown of righteousness is waiting for you if you're waiting for the Lord's appearing. Of course, there's plenty of other uh, encouragements to wait for the Lord's appearing as well. Remember the, the, um, the illustration Jesus gives in the... Um, in the, uh, in the Gospels where he's talking about the uh, <laughs> bridesmaids w- waiting with their uh, oil in their lamps and the wicks trimmed, you know, waiting for the bridegroom's coming, right? There's plenty of stories. It, it, he doesn't just mention that once in several places, right? But the ones who are waiting foolishly, that have, you know, that have fallen asleep, that haven't kept oil in their lamps, they're going to be begging the others for oil because they haven't been faithful to be waiting and watching themselves. I don't want to be one of those foolish bridesmaids that has to go and beg someone else for oil to put in my lamp so that I can light my Lord's return. I, don't want, I want to already be glowing brightly. Saying, I'm waiting and watching for the Master's return. I'm waiting for my groom. I'm ready for the feast. <laughs> I haven't been eating too much ahead of time because I'm waiting for that banquet. Right? We do that, don't we? Thanksgiving morning, you don't exactly eat a big breakfast on Thanksgiving morning. right? Why not? Because you got something bigger and better coming before. Who wants these Cheerios now when there's all that turkey and stuffing later? right? Well, who wants the Cheerios of this life when there's a whole feast waiting for us at the marriage supper? I don't want to get too concerned about fighting for the Cheerios and cornflakes here. They're pretty dry when you think about it. I want to sit down on that feast and be like, Lord, I've been hungry for this the whole time. And now I get to enjoy it. Isn't that going to be something? And you guys, I'm looking forward to sitting with all of you there. And say, hey Matt, how hungry are you? Me too. (laughs) That's going to be awesome. And all those dear saints who have gone before... I think each and every one of us here has someone that we miss a whole awful lot. Probably more than one person. Imagine sitting across the table from them at that supper saying, (laughs) I'm so glad we're together. I'm going to try not to talk with my mouth full. (laughs) I don't think anybody's going to mind. That's what I'm waiting for. So as we go throughout this week. Are you looking forward to that? Are you offering yourself as that sacrifice, like Paul says, throughout his life, he's that, slaughtered, he's that slaughtered bull. He's got a huge amount that he wants to offer to the Lord. He wants that sacrifice to be something that's so huge that it takes a couple guys to lift it up on top of that altar. Right? The, the, the magnitude of his life and all the things that he did for the Lord. He wants that to be a great sacrifice. So that when he gets to the end of it, all he has to do is pour out that drink offering, and that's the end. And so think, think of your own life like that. Think of it as a multi-part offering, right? When it talks about, in Romans 12, offering, offering ourselves a living sacrifice, That's that's what we've got to do, right? Like I talked about in Ephesians at the beginning, right? The Lord has good works uh, prepared for us beforehand so we might walk walk in them. That's our life of sacrifice so that when we get to the end, we can be poured out as every last drop. I want to be an encouragement on my deathbed. When I'm laying there, saying to the people that come into my hospital room or whatever, press on, keep going towards the Lord. All I've got left is a few words of encouragement. That's the last few drops of my drink offering. That's all I've got left. It's a few words of encouragement before I go to meet my Master. That's where I want to be. I don't want to be, <laughs> I don't want to be trying to witness to somebody from my deathbed saying, believe Christ because you're the only person I've talked to about Christ my entire lifetime. That's not where I want to be. I want that, those last few drops to be right there at the end. I want to have that humility. You will know, say, yeah, everything that I've done before, that was the greater part for the Lord. And now, giving up my life, my last few breaths, that's just the, that's just the afterthought. That's the last little bit. It's not the main event. I think Paul looked at it that way at the end of his life. He says, where I'm at now, this is not the main event. I'm done. My ship sailed. But here's the last few drops I've got to you. I'm going to write them down. This is my final encouragement to you. And I think that's an amazing look at Paul's life and how much he cared about Timothy and how much he cared about everyone who would read this letter afterwards. And so look, brothers and sisters, look forward to the Lord's appearing. Offer yourself as that sacrifice so that you can say with Paul, I finished the race, I fought the fight. I'm looking forward to my my crops and that crown of righteousness. Shall we pray? Lord Jesus, you are great and awesome and worthy of all of our praise. And Lord, if we're just trying to live out our lives in service of ourselves, we've lost sight of who you are. Because, Lord, we can't serve you unless we fully understand who you are. Thank you for the example of Paul. Thank you for his heart for you. Lord, help us to serve you and you alone with our whole heart. Help me to do that, Lord, just, just for this week. Lord, I, I'm, I'm weak. My, my spirit is willing, but my flesh is weak. Just like every follower of yours before me or that will come after me. Lord, we're weak. And Lord, we need your strength. We need your Holy Spirit to fill us. We need that hope and that faith to look upwards, fixing our eyes on you. Lord, moment by moment, day by day. Lord, make us a sacrifice to you. Help us to focus on you and not be distracted by all the encumbrances and everything that distracts us, Lord. Lord, may we offer ourselves in sacrifice to you this week, we pray in Jesus' name.